You are listening to Spot On, a health and wellness podcast that breaks through the latest media headlines to provide you with accurate and usable information that is, well, spot on, spot on to meet your needs. I am your host, Dr. Joan Salji-Blake, a nutrition professor at Boston University and the author of the college textbook called Nutrition and You, which is used in colleges across the United States and abroad. Hello, Spot On listeners. Um, Are you ready to find out are Halo Foods angelic? (laughs) We're going to find out some information about that, and I brought on an expert to talk this through. You know, um, there's been consumer research done on this, and, you know, the halo effect and and what that is has been used to explain perceptual biases consumers may possess to form, you know, favorable overall attributes about a food or a product, but the key word is perceptual. And the key is really why are we giving this food, you know, this halo angelic qualities when really does it deserve that? And so today I brought on Skylar Griggs. She's a registered dietitian here in Boston, and she works uh, for the preventative cardiology division at Children's Hospital in Boston, and she's also owner of the Newberry Street Nutrition, which is a private practice, and she does media and lectures and talks all the time. So she's an expert on this because, you know, she she's forever uh, talking to the consumer, and the consumers are asking these questions. Oh, I heard this food is, you know, good and not, and, and, and Skyla is right there saying, no, just wait a minute, just wait a minute. So with that, I want to welcome Miss Skyla here to um, Spot On. Thanks, Joan. I'm happy to be here. I'm excited to be here and talk through some of these some of these hot halo foods. As you heard in the intro, I mean, I can remember when I was in private practice. I know you're in private practice. You know, they you the the public and God bless them, you know, there's there there's so much misinformation out there come in and say, "You know, I heard this is a good food." And you're like, mm, "Okay, let me really tell you." So this is you, you could spend all of your sessions just answering these these questions. And that's the reason why I had this on. So this is sort of like a counseling session that's going to be on, on, on a spot-on podcast here. I made up a, a list of foods that, you know, um, I know that that uh, the public is often asking me. So I thought, what the heck, I'll put it to you, the expert. So let's start with foods with a short ingredients list. And, and this is really interesting because the International Food Information Council did a survey and really about 40% of people in the survey said that a food is healthier if it has less ingredients. And so Skylar, talk to us about this. So, you know, it, it's interesting and, and kind of going back to what you were saying about debunking, I feel like half of my work with clients and patients, I get this, you know, this honor to kind of bring them the science and bring them the information around what is, you know, quote unquote healthy. Um, and there's so much food marketing and, you know, marketing from, from every angle, from groups, from companies, from people with vested interests, from people without. And, and it gets complicated to kind of, you know, understand what well, what works best, but also what works best for me, right? Because nutrition is so individualized. Um, and, and I think that's where a lot of the confusion lies. Um, so one of the questions I often get going to our first food topic here is, what about foods with shorter ingredients? Um, and, you know, I think that, again, this is kind of one of those things that, 
it's it's the it's the perception of something being healthier because it has a you know a shorter ingredient list. But the reality is it's it really comes down to the food label, right? Um, you know, paying attention to the things on the food label that apply most to you. Um, what I tell patients often is, can you recognize the majority of the ingredients in the in the ingredient list? Um, for example, when we're talking about something like a whole grain bread, I tell patients, you know, look for the word whole before the first comma, because then we know that generally it's fairly un- unprocessed. Um, but I don't think that we can make this hard and fast rule that a short ingredient list equals healthy. Because a short ingredient list could be salt and fat. <laughs> right. All right, Skylar, let's look at lemonade. What do we have? We have sugar, water, and maybe a squeeze of lemon. I mean, so like, is that a healthy? Right, exactly. <laughs> it's got three ingredients. And like what you said with the whole grain bread, and that was an excellent example. It could be, you know, whole wheat, whole oats or whatever. And then after it, all these B vitamins that have been added to it, which are good, which are really good stuff. Right, right. So if you look at lemonade, three ingredients, and whole grain bread, mm, 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 you know, so there's, I think, an example of a perfect example that you said that a long ingredient list may be a good thing. Right, exactly. And what, and it goes back to this question of what does it mean for you, right? Right. Um, right. So I see, I see kids and adults with, with high triglycerides or high blood sugar or, you know, kind of looking to lose a little bit of weight. And one of the first things we look at is sugar sweet beverages. So to your point, you know, uh, something like lemonade has three ingredients, whole grain bread has many, um, you know, fortified. And for some populations, really needing that fortification in their foods um, is, is really important. Yeah. Right. I mean, you said high triglycerides, you're meaning high fat in, in the blood. And you're right, sugary beverages um, uh, can increase that. So you're right. That's right. Okay. The next one, because this one, well, this one, you know, this is like, you know, uh, shopping around, and I'm a big shopper here, but people often assume that if it's a brand name product, it's so much better than the, you know, the store brand knockoff. Right. And I think that that's misinformation. Um, I think it it all comes down to what's in the food. So for example, shopping at a place like Trader Joe's, you know, it might not have brand name products. It might have the store brand or Wegmans might have the store brand or Market Basket, a great place, might have the store brand. That doesn't mean that it's any more or less nutrient dense than the than the brands, the big, you know, the big brands. So I think and for many people, the store brands are more accessible in price. Um, and that's really important, right? Yes, very important now, Skylar. I mean, I go food shopping uh, every week now and I'm like, wait a minute. This was six ninety nine last week. Why was it eight ninety? Like it's like what's happening here, uh, and it's really really amazing. So you know the store brands, a great quality could be saving you maybe twenty percent. And actually, isn't it true, Skylar, that sometimes when you see like the knockoff cereals or the knockoff canned fruit, that they may actually be the brands, the high-end brands, but they pack, yes, they package it and sell it to the stores. So it's like you're competing with the same box of cereal next to each other. You know, so again, and I love what you said, it's individualized because, you know, the number one driver is taste. So if the knockoff brand is less money and tastes just as good to you and is as healthy, you got that right. And then I'll take my savings and go to TJ Maxx. 
Exactly. I was going to say TJ Maxx, another one of my favorites. Oh, good gosh. Absolutely. Okay. So another one, another one is fresh is best. And, you know, fresh versus frozen vegetables. And again, this International Food Information Council did this survey, as I just mentioned, and over 40 Five percent of people said that that frozen is inferior uh, to to fresh vegetables. So tell us the um, uh, story on that. Yeah. So, you know, this is so interesting. And this is one of the most common questions, I will say, of all the foods that that I get questions about. This is one of the most common questions I get. Um, and and and. The most important thing to remember, and what I tell patients often, is that frozen vegetables are flash frozen at the peak of freshness. So you are getting a package of frozen vegetables that has been, you know, frozen when it is the most, most fresh and then put into a convenient bag that you can then heat up whenever works for your lifestyle. And the reality is many of us are eating on the go. We're eating on the fly. Um, and so having frozen vegetables at a lower price point is just as nutrient dense as the fresh and, and oftentimes more accessible. Um, you know, a lot of, a lot of the time during the week, my husband and I will roast our vegetables and it's very common for us to grab bags of frozen vegetables and lay them on the pan. It's just, it's just easier. Um, especially towards the end of the week. And, and nutritionally, it's, it's equivalent. And you know something, you talk about uh, price and you talk about convenience. And, you know, okay, you want fresh, but fresh has some labor-intensive, you know, activities to it. You got to wash it, you got to chop it up. Not, not that I'm against this at all. But the time save that you have, especially on a Tuesday, and you think about how, how you, you know, what, what's the value of an hour or half an hour of your time to slice and dice, you know, uh, you know, the, the fresh all of a sudden became even more expensive when you have to put the labor in, uh, attached to it. You know, what I always say is get whatever's on sale, that whatever, you know, fresh frozen can go for it. Yes. And you know what I love too, Joan, just to mention this, um, I love those steamer bags of vegetables because I think for people, those are awesome and they're awesome to just add into a mixed dish. Skylar, they made these for me. I'm sorry. I, I, I don't want to make it like it's all about me, but because but it is. you steam it <laughs> and you steam it, you put it on the plate and, and you just dispose of it. Okay. And so we're talking no cleanup, no chopping. I mean, this has my name all over it. I just love it. Okay. Let's do, I, this one makes me crazy. And you know, you know, I teach here at Boston University and I get this question in class all the time, coconut oil. Oh, so as a dietitian in cardiology, uh, <laughs> I can tell you that with the team that I work with, this is um, this is this has become I will tell you, thankfully, this has become less of a hot topic in recent years. But there was a time I've been with children's probably 10 plus years. A couple years ago, it was all about the coconut oil. All these questions around coconut oil. And, and I think, you know, that time kind of aligned a little bit with all these, um, all this stuff going on around Tom Brady's plant-based diet and what kind of oil does he use? And so here's my thing on coconut oil. If you are someone who has high cholesterol, who has a family history of heart disease, which family history of heart disease is 90% of the population, I really don't want you filling up on coconut oil, right? Um, and, and for that, and on, on, on top of that, the most well-studied oil when it comes to health is olive oil. Right. We know that olive oil and the Mediterranean diet is the most well-studied diet. Um, so what I tell people is cook at low temperatures with olive oil. And if you're cooking at very high temperatures, 
use something like avocado oil or, or canola oil. Um, use coconut oil sparingly because it's actually a very rich source of, of saturated fat, which is not bad, but we can't, we shouldn't use an excess. Right. It's, it's actually one of the highest sources of saturated fat. You know, people often say red meat or fatty red meats and everything. No, 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 no. Let's, let's go, let's, let's go to Hawaii with the coconut oil because that's where the problem is. Yeah. Right. Absolutely. Right. Yeah, absolutely. You know, um, I, I once did a, um, in fact, I did a uh, episode here with a dermatologist on Spot On. And we were talking a little bit about c- coconut oil. And she basically said it belongs on the outside of the body, like a, a moisturizer, a hair cleanser, like cream rinse. Put it on your Gorgeous. Skin. Just don't yes. ingest it. And if you look at it at room temperature, you see it, right? And so then right. you think about if you're eating that, kind of what it starts to do to the walls of the blood, ve- you know, blood vessels over time. Um, so I think, you know, I, I would keep it on your skin and, and, and out of your mouth. Yeah, that's a great visual to keep it on the counter and watch how it solidifies. Oh, gosh, that is a good one. All right. All right. Tell me about sea salt versus salt. Oh, sea salt versus salt. This was another one I feel like, you know, that kind of ran in line with, with the coconut oil. So one of the reasons that we we love the Morton's table salt, kind of the old school stuff that, that our, our ancestors used is because it's iodized because it has a, it's a source of iodine and we, we need iodine in our diet. And when we start to mess with kind of a, these very easy to access sources of vital nutrients that we need, uh, we start to get into trouble. So so I think sea salt kind of came on the market as part of this purist, um, only coconut oil kind of uh, approach to food. And, and while I don't think that that there's anything wrong with that from a food cooking perspective, I think we need to be aware that many of these sea salts don't have iodine in them. And and it's that's an important part of, of our kids and, and adults' diet. And, you know, a lot of people think that the sea salt has lower sodium, right? Oh, but that's not salt. the case. Right, right. That's right. And so what you're doing is you're getting the same amount of sodium um, and you're not getting the iodine. Exactly. I've seen the price of sea salt compared to salt. And wow. Oh, it's so much more expensive. Much, much more expensive. Much, much more expensive. So again, you're paying more for something that gives you the same amount of sodium that we should all be reducing in our diet and we, we lost out on the iodine. Exactly. Okay. Okay. Gluten-free for weight loss, gluten-free products. And this makes me crazy. And this is still out there. Um, and, and this have I know we did this, this is, you know, it seems like a hundred years ago, they started this uh, gluten-free for weight loss, but really will, where does gluten-free products really fit in a weight reducing diet. Yes. Does it does it is it is it the magic behind it? So it's not. Um, spoiler alert. Uh, <laughs> so we know that gluten free products really are vital to people with celiac disease, um, which is, for those who do not know is it is an inability to digest uh, gliadin, the protein in gluten. The rates of celiac disease nationally, last time I checked, were around one plus percent true celiac disease. Um, and oftentimes, you know, celiac disease presents, it can present in the adult population. It oftentimes presents in the pediatric population as kind of a stunted growth, a stunted growth chart, inability to digest, diarrhea, constipation around foods containing gluten. So we're talking about a very small part of the population that really needs these gluten-free foods and they're vital to them. With that being said, for the general population that does not have celiac disease, 
gluten-free foods will not result in weight loss and actually could contribute to weight gain because they, they tend to be much higher sources of carbohydrates because they're rice and potato based. Um, so I tell people, if you're looking to lose weight and you want to manage your weight and put it in a healthy range with a balanced diet, you really need to be watching foods that have fiber, um, and paying attention to fiber in foods and, and being aware of things like added sugars. Gluten is, is definitely not the enemy when it comes to weight management. If anything, it, it could actually be your friend when we talk about some of those whole grain sources. You know, uh, sometimes and that when they make these gluten-free cookies, uh, they have to add more sugar and fat to them to make them more palatable because just like you said, they took out the wheat. But, you know, when you when you have a gluten-free cookie, you still have a cookie. It, it, it taken the gluten out, translated into one, or transformed, I should say, into an apple. You know, I mean, it's still a cookie. And if you look at the calories, because... They, you know, add added more added sugar and fat to it. Oftentimes, they actually have more calories, as you just said, than the regular cookie. So, there we go. The, 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 I have to tell you something. The upside of this whole f- gluten-free craze is for those one percent people that have exactly that. and the access, right? The ability to go out. Oh my goodness! I I have a dear dear friend who has celiac disease and, you know, she was diagnosed, I don't know, 15, 20 years ago. And when, when she got first diagnosed, there were no gluten-free products in the supermarket. You'd have to go to like to a specialty shop. And she, this meant, remember, 15, 20 years ago, she's, she loves pretzels. So she went to the specialty shop and she got this bag of pretzels, which was like maybe like six ounces, like nothing, something that would come out of a vending machine in size. It was $9. Oh, I'm sure. And she she would eat each pretzel like it was gold because <laughs> of course. And now it's so much more accessible, which is a wonderful, wonderful thing. And I think you know when when we're thinking about the processed piece of that, a cookie is still a cookie, as you said. The processed foods, you know, kind of come down to salt, sugar, and fat, right? Oftentimes, that's what they're adding in. So, to your point, when it comes to to this question around weight. If anything, it's gonna. It needs to be treated as a regular cookie because a cookie is a cookie, right? Right. That, that you got that right. Yeah, absolutely. And so we have to re- we have to remind people of that. All right, going down my list here. The same thing with gluten free. These keto f- foods are making me crazy too. So, what is the whole story on keto and? What makes a keto food a keto food? So interestingly, kind of in line with um, with the gluten free foods, the keto diet was highly popularized and, and is extremely beneficial um, to people who have seizures, right? So so the ketogenic diet was originally designed as a diet for children and adults with seizures. And, and, and I can tell you at Children's, they use the keto diet in the epilepsy clinic and they have seen phenomenal results. It's a very well-studied diet. Bravo. Because having a child with this is very, very frightening. Very frightening. So bravo that this this is based on science and it works. We have keto dietitians at the hospital. They're amazing. They've been doing this for 20, 30 years. Um, with that said, so for that diet, it's vital to those patients. For everybody else, the keto foods, generally, going back to our coconut oil kind of conversation, are extremely rich sources of saturated fat. Our body does need some saturated fat for hormones. Absolutely. But if you start introducing excessive forms of saturated fat, 
you know, you're, you start to see things like high cholesterol, weight gain. Um, and so I think the thing with these keto foods is we've kind of moved into this as with nutrition in general, we do as a population extremes, only keto. Um, and I think that, that we just need to be aware that the ketogenic diet was really designed for that one population. Um, and then it's, it's, the ketogenic diet's not going to be kind to your heart, uh, if you do it in excess. And, and you think about it, here we go, just like the gluten-free cookies. Okay, so I'll say keto, uh, I'll say keto cookies, which means that they're low in carbohydrates. And, and, you know, it, again, to make them palatable, they're adding a lot of sugar and fat. It's, it's interesting, Skylar. I just, just came to my head right now. It's interesting that you, that, public or whoever the powers to be here, took two science-based diets, one for celiac disease and one for epilepsy in children, the, the keto diet, and put it in the mainstream and said it's going to have all these wonderful, wonderful health benefits for you. One of on the top of the list is weight loss, and there's no science. But it's so funny. It's so interesting. They, they took two diets that were based on science for a whole nother reason and spun it right for the general public. And I think that that as the consumer, you know, that's where going back to the science, being informed, really getting your information from a registered dietitian is so important and so vital because we're constantly kind of in these pitfalls where we're being exposed to diets that yes, may be based in science for a certain population, as you said, but are not nutritionally beneficial to the general population. Um, and so, yeah, we, we, we need to make informed decisions because we're getting flashed with info left and right. You got that right. And, and, and now, perfect segue right to plant-based. Okay, so in this survey by the International Food Information Council, 7 out of 10 consumers believe that protein from plants are healthier. Now, that's an interesting statistic because... That could be, but not necessarily. Because, okay, plant protein, I'm thinking beans, fabulous, right? Low in saturated fat, high in fiber, inexpensive, you know, all these other other attributes. But then you start getting plant-based food products, like maybe a hamburger or sausages or meatballs that could have the coconut oil in it. Right, right. So that's a talk through, talk us through this. So one of my favorite quotes um, when it comes to kind of eating in general is by Michael Pollan. And he says, eat foods, mostly plants, not too much. It's one of my favorite quotes. Um, and what I, what I love that it encapsulates is it says eat food. So real food, right? Fruits, vegetables, whole grains, nuts, seeds. All of those things are plant-based. Fruits, vegetables, whole grains, nuts, and seeds. Those are all plant-based foods. I think we, you know, when we when we say the word a plant based diet and we're thinking about the true food, I'm all for it. Um, but when we're talking about plant based products that are marketed to the general population, which, as you alluded to, are things like the burgers and the sausages, we're talking about things that are highly processed. Um, that ultra processed, right? Exactly, exactly. And so, you know, does the benefits of having an ultra processed burger or sausage that's extremely high in salt and and, um, you know, and, and has been kind of 
I don't like to use the word man-made, but but kind of um, not derived from the most natural ingredients, does the benefits of that outweigh the risk of a nice piece of grass-fed steak? Um, I'm not convinced um, that that's the case. You know, and Skylar, let's talk, this is this is what cracks me up about this, this whole plant-based foods. And, and again, you know, if the ingredients are healthy and it tastes well and it's affordable, I, I don't, you know, it's whatever your taste wants. But if you're going to go with the short list of ingredients, okay, beef, you have ground beef. What are the ingredients? Beef. That's it. And so when you get like a plant-based burger, it's what's like the ingredients? ingredients. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and not to say that if they're all vitamins and stuff that that's you know they're good, just like the cereal. But I just think that's so funny how for, for it's short ingredients. But when it comes to these plant based burgers, well, that halo effect over, supersedes the ingredient one. You know, it's it, it's I just think it's it's so funny. And to your point, what is a plant based protein exactly? Right. So if you, I encourage patients all the time. I say, yeah, you want to do a plant based couple plant based meals a week, go for it. Eat your beans. You know, eat the unprocessed tofu. Eat the, the peanut butter and the nuts and the seeds and, and quinoa and things like that. Those are great for your heart. But don't fill up on, you know, these, these ultra-processed plant-based vegan proteins that, that our grandmother couldn't even recognize, right? Right, right. Or they, and they may not be, you know, you know compare the nutrition fact panel because you don't want them to having more saturated fat and sodium and added sugars going in there. So, you know, we have to get people to look not just on the ingredients label, but to use that nutrition fact panel to make those comparisons um, when, 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 they're, when they're food shopping. All right, last one, natural. You know, people say oftentimes it, on the product, it'll say natural, natural blank. What What's the definition of natural for food products? I, this is another really good one I like. So natural is, is not regulated, right? It's a term. It's unregulated. So anyone can really say that something's natural. Um, and, 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 and I think when it, when we think about food marketing and food advertising, you know, that word natural sounds really sexy. It's a, you know, it, it comes from the earth and, and that, you know, that's not the case. We can, we can call anything natural. So you could have a natural potato chip. You could have, you know, a, a natural juice. It's still juice. It's still potato chips and in, in excess, it's still not, you know, not great for you, um, versus having, a piece of fruit or a vegetable, which is as natural as it comes. Right. Nor is the word like natural chicken is, and going back to the price, if it has it and one chicken doesn't have natural and it's the, the quote unquote air quote, natural chicken costs more. Do you think to yourself, whoa, 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 what am I paying for here? A chicken's a chicken, you know? And so again, that's the whole labeling, um, you know, what's on front of the package could be, uh, very misleading and, and hyped, but really when you go to the side of the package or the back where the nutrition fact panel is, uh, you know, you're getting down to the ditty, nitty gritty. So, uh, you know, again, I'm looking for cutting, you know, uh, watching your wallet when you go food shopping. Yes. And I think, you know, to your point, the most, the best thing we can do as nutrition professionals is empower our clients to be able to make decisions based on the science and based on right. the nutrition facts labels and based on the ingredient list. Because the best way we can care for ourselves is to advocate for ourselves. Um, and, and, and this even happens when it comes to, to diet and nutrition. And, you know, um, what you're talking about is make sure you know where you're getting your nutrition information. Make sure it's been 
uh, written by or listened to by a uh, spoken by, I should say, a registered dietitian nutritionist. Skyla has a personal blog called Newberry Street Nutrition. And again, we know that's going to be all sound information. So, I, you know, I want to thank you for coming on today to, to talk about these halo foods, because I think people really need some um, sound information about this. And, you know, be careful with your wallet and don't buy something. Uh, a halo food may not be that angelic. That's what we, well, it's all about. So with Skyla Griggs, I want to just thank you so much for coming on Spot On. Oh, thank you, Joan. It was my pleasure. Spot On is supported by the Boston University Sargent College's Master of Science degree in Nutrition program. Log on to bu.edu to learn more about this fabulous nutrition graduate program. Thank you for listening to Spot On. If you enjoyed this episode, don't forget to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. This way you'll get every new episode every week. And by the way, leave us a nice review. And can you also like us on our Spot On Facebook page and suggest topics for future episodes? Please follow me on Twitter and Instagram at Joan Salgy Blake. And oh, by the way, can you send this episode to five of your friends? Do I ask a lot of you?